We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, communities in the Bay Area are reeling from a recent spate of violent attacks against elderly Asian Americans that left one 84-year-old San Francisco resident dead and several others injured, including a 91-year-old man in Oakland's Chinatown. And even before these incidents, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders nationwide were seeing a spike in hate crimes and verbal harassment during the pandemic. In this hour, we look at the toll these attacks are taking on individuals, communities, and efforts to stop them. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Rallies over the weekend, donations, and volunteer efforts are trying to bring a measure of healing and comfort to communities reeling from a spate of violent attacks against elderly Asian Americans, including the fatal attack on 84-year-old Vicha Ratanapakti, a Thai man who came to San Francisco to help care for his grandkids. The attacks come as a growing number of hate incidents target Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. The group Stop AAPI Hate has recorded more than 2,800 instances of assault and harassment last year from March to December, and more than 40% of those incidents were in California. Joining me first is my colleague, actually, Grace One, radio host at KALW and a fill-in producer here at Forum. Grace, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Nina. You know, I don't know whether to laugh or cry that we didn't even have to search for a guest who has experienced (laughs) overt anti-Asian racism during the pandemic. I mean, it's been that common or it's just felt like the threat has been constant of experiencing those types of things. Can you tell us what happened to you in Union Square a few months ago? Yeah, you know, I was walking through Union Square and... um, can't, I, the day, I think it was sometime in September, and a gentleman just as I was walking by him said, you brought the flu, go back to China. And um, at the, I was a little startled, and, and, but not surprised, I, I have to say, not surprised at all, because it wasn't the first time somebody had said something racist to me, probably not the last time. And in my mind, back to your comment of whether to laugh or to cry, one of my first responses was, go back to China. I am not Chinese. I've never been to China. And God, I love to travel. I would love to go back to China at this point of the pandemic. Uh, and my second response was, you know, racism really lacks nuance. And um, that this gentleman knew nothing about me, but felt every you know, felt free to say what he said to be clear. He didn't seem 
really altogether mentally sentient. I mean, I, I don't know what his situation was, but he didn't seem like he was well cared for. Uh, so I just walked on, but it just, it was a sad moment to live in the city. Yes. And I'm also wondering how your elderly parents are doing with all of this. Um, I know they live near the Anza Vista neighborhood where the 84 year old man was attacked in the middle of the day and later died. Yeah, they, uh, my father's 88, my mom is 85. They moved up to San Francisco for similar reasons to the gentleman who was um, frankly murdered uh, to help us raise our kids. And um, so they've been living in San Francisco for the last 14 years. And in part they came here because it's a great place to be elderly. You don't have to rely on driving. There's public transportation. They love walking everywhere. And now among their friends, there's a real concern about going outside, being careful when you do go outside. It, the pandemic has been so tough on, the, on older people because everything they're supposed to do to stay healthy, just to be social, see people, they can't do. So my parents have been very careful. They're concerned about taking walks. And they, you know, my dad loves to go to Trader Joe's on Masonic and he's taking it easy and we've asked him not to go. Um, and, you know, so we could pick up groceries for him just because we don't want to expose them to any more than they need to be exposed. I mean, our parents have already been so isolated and at home so much more often anyway. I'm just curious what, how it makes you feel that they are limiting their activities that much more. Uh, it's a mixture of being really sad um, because they're very social, outgoing people. I mean, my mom, before the pandemic, would walk three miles outside on a daily basis and go to the JCC for her 60-lap swim. And now their lives are so curtailed. And, um, you know, they came to this country 50 years ago. And my mom said recently, she's like, I've lived through the occupation of my country, World War II, Civil War. She's like, I didn't think my life was going to end like this kind of um, at home, not able to go out, not just because of COVID, but really worried that somebody might um, hurt me just because of who I am or what I look like. And uh, it's it, so it's a mixture of sadness and anger. Um, on their behalf. And I just want to give them a shout out because their 58th anniversary is this Thursday. So oh. we, we, we will do something special for them. <laughs> well, please tell them happy anniversary. Um, Thanks. Had you heard your mom say anything like that before? No. I mean, this country has always been one of opportunity and hope. They're so proud of what their, the three, their three daughters, uh, my sisters and I have accomplished. But there's just a real, it's exhausting, you know, it's exhausting to deal with the casual racism. And I think the last four years of the presidency, I mean, the anti-Asian um, sentiment didn't start with COVID. Um, and there may be very good reasons why to have a strong foreign policy against China, but it really, the way in which it's been portrayed has, um, has leached out into being anti-Asian just in our in our own country and that's been hurtful and difficult so yeah actually yeah. when i had two teenage boys follow me while i was jogging and yell racial slurs this was at the end of 2019 so pre-pandemic they actually yelled vote trump when they did it Ugh. um but I, I yeah go ahead grace uh, just again it's so common that it's, I mean, like when it happened to me in Union Square, I didn't even think about it. I just kind of walked along because it's way more prevalent than I think people realize. And I think it's been great that 
the Asian American community is saying like, oh, we have to actually speak up about this because people don't realize how prevalent it is. Have you told your parents about what happened to you in Union Square or or reported uh, it or? Yeah. They may be hearing about it for the first time now. <laughs> I don't want to worry them. I didn't even tell my kids because I didn't want to worry them. Um, and I think that's what a lot of us do. We just kind of stuff it inside and say, okay, just one more thing that happened to me today. And you don't want people to, you know, fret about you because it's, it, one is used, I am used to it. I, I, I can't say it doesn't, um, it's not awful, but you do get used to it. You do get used to it. Well, Grace, please give your parents my best. Thank you for being willing to share your experiences. And I, I just really appreciate it. Thank you, Grace. Well, they adore you. So this has been <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> Grace One, radio host and producer at KALW and an awesome fill-in host here, uh, fill-in producer here at Forum. I'm going to invite Russell Jung into the conversation now, professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate, which tracks incidents of hate against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in California. Russell Jung, thanks for coming back on Forum. Thanks again for having me, Mina. So the incidents that Grace was describing are not uncommon, as we just pointed out, and as your numbers show. I mean, when we last talked on the show in March, you and Chinese for Affirmative Action and Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council had started this website where people can self-report violence and harassment. I mean, since then, you've recorded more than 1,200 incidents just in California. Can you describe the range of what people are saying is happening to them? Yeah, the range is a lot um, like Grace explained. Uh, verbal harassment make up the majority of our case cases. But, you know, we're not finding that they're just microaggressions that people could easily brush off. It, it does become traumatizing after a while and when it's repeated. We've been surveying our respondents and they are showing signs of racial trauma hmm. that Asian Americans are the racial group with the highest rates of um, mental health distress during the pandemic. Those who experience racism have increased anxiety, sleeplessness, um, and um, triggering responses. They avoid places now because of the trauma. And so um, that's been happening a lot. 8% of our cases are physical assaults. So they're hate crimes where people get pushed and shoved, have rocks and bottles thrown at them. And, and then, you know, what Grace talked about, um, being told to go back to China or having people say Trump 2020, that occurred in about a third people clearly use xenophobic language. Um, they include slurs, profanities. And so that sort of heightens that sense for Asian Americans that were perceived as outsiders who don't belong. I think over time, the used to it, but it's not something we should get used to. It's normalized, but it's not normal, or it shouldn't be normal to cast people as perpetual foreigners. And then do you think the incidents you're recording at Stop AAPI Hate are an ac accurate reflection of the extent of hate incidents likely occurring? Oh, we're just the tip of the iceberg. It's much more pervasive and widespread than our numbers indicate. A UCLA study that was a good random sample um, surveyed Californians and um, Asian Americans report, 7% um, of the community report experiencing direct racism. Now, 7% doesn't sound like much, 
But in California, that's over 400,000 people experiencing direct racism. That translates last year over a thousand incidents a day in California of anti-Asian hate. So it's most Asian Americans are experiencing it or one degree of separation away from being harassed or yelled at or attacked or shunned. And you say racial trauma. Can you talk about how that is showing up? Well, again, like I said, um, in our respondents, they're displaying um, mental health distress. Hmm. Um, Asian Americans, are, again, are the racial group <clears throat> with the most anxiety during COVID-19. And it's like what Grace talked about. Not only are we concerned about getting COVID um, when we go outside, but because we live in multi-generational households, we're concerned that our elderly parents might get COVID. So we, we have a double concern. And then because of racism, our are avoided and our businesses, our ethnic businesses shut down earlier. So we have higher rates of joblessness than any racial group besides African-Americans. So we're concerned about our economic livelihood. So those factors on top of the racism that we could be experiencing have really heightened um, the fear and depression that Asian Americans are dealing with during the pandemic. You're really talking about cumulative and compounding factors here, Russell. And I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation. We're talking about the recent spate of violent attacks against elderly Asian Americans in the Bay Area, the national attention that they're getting, but also the attention that the rising number of hate incidents targeting Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders statewide are getting as well. And we'd like to hear from you. How are you grappling with or processing these incidents? What has brought some measure of healing to you? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Russell Jung, professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University, co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate, which tracks incidents of hate against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in California. And joining us now is Dr. Sherry Wong, associate professor of counseling at Santa Clara University. Dr. Wong, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for being here, letting me be here. I appreciate it. And, and Dr. Wang, sorry. Um, you yourself have also taken surveys, collected data from clients about hate incidents and about the targeting of Asian Americans during the pandemic. And I was struck by learning about some of the questions in your survey, one of them being that those who reported hate incidents uh, suggested that in almost no instances was there any bystander intervention? Can you talk about the significance of that finding to you? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when we think about racial trauma, I think it, it isn't just what happens. It's not just the 
overt violence that happens. It's also what happens in the moment when nobody comes to help you and you're looking around. Um, and then it's also happens what afterwards in terms of when you seek support and, and you're you're sharing to people that you trust and you're being told like, it's not a big deal, um, get over it. Or maybe you're imagining it or it's not as bad as other people's experiences. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of pieces that follow up afterwards. And so the bystander part is really one important part that I think we miss out because what happens then is when people do report it or even they're not actually reporting to any source um, for documentation, they may be just going to trusted people that they're sharing it with. One of the issues that can happen is unintentional victim blaming of, well, why didn't you do this? Or, well, what were you doing to elicit, right, that kind of um, perpetration? And, and so, you know, I really, I started a, a study um, around May, and really it was to build off of the amazing work that, that Stop AAPI Hate was doing. But, but because I'm also a qualitative researcher, and I really, you know, I really wanted to hear stories and experiences, I thought, we, I want to know more. I want to know more about pre-COVID experiences of racism. I also want to know what happens during, not just in terms of what did the victim do so that we don't perpetuate victim blaming, but also then where were other, what were other people doing? Um, and afterwards, who, who were your support system and did they give you the support you needed? Um, and if not, what did you wish you could have gotten? Hmm. Um, and what should, should we be getting, you know, as a community, you know, amongst us, among Asian Americans, what can we be doing to be more empowered, but also from outsiders, from non-Asian Americans, from white America, from our other BIPOC allies, what do we need from them to help us feel more empowered? Do you think that the lack of intervention can contribute to this sense of downplaying the incident or, or even the sense of erasure that a lot of Asian Americans talk about? Absolutely. And I think that is, that is part of the racial trauma is the invisibility of it. It's that nobody cares to step in or nobody sees it as problematic. And it is traumatic. It is traumatic, not only when it happens to you, and it's also traumatic when you hear about it. And so I think one of the traumas we're not talking about also is that people may not be um, experiencing as much of it because they're changing their lifestyles, right? They're changing their behaviors. They're restricting their lives um, to be only within the home because it is too scary to go out. And so absolutely, I think 100% that this is, this is a, a problem, not only for Asian Americans, but it speaks to our societal um, lack of understanding of, of Asian American experiences of racism and the, the need for everybody to pitch in because this is a problem for everybody, not just a, the AAPI community. There was another striking finding in your surveys. Respondents told you that they were anxious about naming race as a factor in incidents of physical or emotional harm because they felt their experiences were not as bad as those of Black people. Can you talk more about this? Absolutely. I mean, I think right now, because the, the depending on how the stories are being reported and just how things are being discussed and our current sociopolitical climate of being able to talk about race and racism, um, there's this the sense and the fear that people have of if we talk about the fact that the, the perpetrators have been black, does that mean I'm anti-black? Or if I talk about my experience of racism, does that take away from Black Lives Matter and mm. all, the, all the work and the efforts that we've been putting in, in terms of wanting to build solidarity and wanting to really um, kind of add our voice to amplify that movement. Do we take away from it or, and do we inadvertently then perpetrate anti-Blackness? So there's actually a lot of complexities right now and a lot of um, division and work that 
is is happening right within our community right now within the api community in terms of how do we respond that there are some folks who are really working hard to say we really want to make sure that uh, we're not perpetrating anti-blackness by calling for over-reliance on policing by calling for um you know punishing and by, by really making sure that we are not you know perpetrating right more anti-blackness than there already is on the other hand and i do say on the other hand because there seems it feels like it's a conflict when it can be both, right? And so on the other hand, there are folks who feel like I can't even talk about my racial trauma because every time I talk about my racial trauma, it shifts to don't be anti-Black. And so when and how, and, and is there ever a space for Asian Americans to be able to talk about our experiences of racial trauma without having to compare it to somebody else? And, and that really speaks to the larger racial victimization and racism that is specific to Asian Americans and that the model minority stereotype was coined specifically and purposely to keep the black community down to say, hey, look at Asian Americans and look at how great they're doing, which actually is not true. But it was a way to really say, be like them. You know, this is the stereotype and, and, and this is how we see them. So black people, you should also be quiet and submissive and don't get politically involved, um, be deferential. And, and follow this group that is doing, doing exactly what we want to. So white America has also positioned Asian Americans as a weapon, not only against uh, black America, but also to minimize our suffering and our pain. And this is happening again within our communities where our pain, our trauma, there's no space to talk about it because of these fears of, well, what do I take away? Because I'm, we're always pitched against blackness or whiteness. We're never our own. I just want to read your tweet where you wrote, all of us must interrogate and combat our anti-blackness. But for now, Asian Americans are experiencing acute fear, anxiety, anger, and grief. Please do not continue to gaslight us by reframing our story, perpetuating our invisibility, and denying our suffering. Russell Jung, how do you think the recent spate of horrific attacks against elderly Asian Americans fits into the rise of pandemic-related hate incidents. And I ask this, Russell, because we know, sadly, that attacks on elderly Asian Americans have happened before, and they're finally getting more attention. Yeah, I think there are separate but related trends that in 2020, we saw the surge in racism um, incited by Trump's incendiary political rhetoric and that's the overall yellow peril fear that we're outsiders and um, threatening with our diseases. The recent spate of attacks on our elderly, we don't know what the motivation is. We don't, they seem to be random, um, senseless acts. They're really horrific. Um, but we don't know if they're racially. Russell? I think we may have lost you there, Russell. So we'll oh, try. Oh, oh, I okay. think you're back. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. So the recent spate of attacks on our elderly, I wouldn't even call them hate crimes because there's no necessarily any evidence that they are hate crimes. That they are racially motivated, you mean? Yeah, they're racially motivated. And um, so we should protect our elderly. We should be outraged by the violence against them. But it's not necessarily racism perpetrated by a group against us. And um, so in that case, we were calling for different solutions for the racism that we experienced last year and solutions to the um, community safety needs that we have this year. Um, again, they're related in that the racism invites 
violence against Asian. It invites um, marginalizing us. But again, right now, fighting for community safety and protecting our elders, I think everybody agrees that senior citizens should be safe, should be able to go walk out into their neighborhoods. And nobody really wants the wanton pushing and shoving of innocent people like we've been seeing. And again, Russell Jung is professor of Asian American studies at San Francisco State University and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. Dr. Sherry Wang is associate professor of counseling at Santa Clara University. And you, our listeners, are with us weighing in. Nicole writes, I am a teacher and heard about attacks on my students early in the pandemic. It was heart-wrenching. I tried to contact my local politicians to create an anti-hate campaign that would encourage stores and average people to post signs against hate. No politicians responded. We need to all come together and stand up for the Asian American members of our community. And Andre tweets, this would be a great opportunity to talk about Asian racism against black skin and the myth of the model minority. Sherry Wang, one of the things that I've been struck by is is what Russell has just referred to in terms of different ways of responding to what's happening. So we've seen uh, some who've called for an increased police presence in neighborhoods and others who pointed out that policing has not meant safety for a lot of Asian Americans and particularly black people, especially after the police violence that gained more attention in 2020. While there is tension here, do you see something positive in this tension in the, in the kinds of conversations we're having? I do think that this is an opportunity for us to really recognize collectively that racism isn't, the assumption isn't that it's perpetrated only by white people, um, that, that it's not just a white versus people of color experience. And that was something that really came out of our data as well, is that uh, we there was so much talk also um, about racism being perpetuated within the BIPOC community. Um, and, and I think that that's really crucial for us to think about as we think about what it means to reimagine safety and accountability um, and to determine as communities, what, what do we mean by that? And who are we protecting from? And that that's different than I think policing um, because it's, what are we policing? What are we um, kind of, what are we kind of dividing as opposed to who are we welcoming and, and how are we brainstorming ways to work through this together? It doesn't have to be a divisive issue. It really can be one where it's about like, how do we determine what is safety and accountability um, versus really kind of punishment and vengeance, which I, I think those, it's important to talk about those feelings as well, um, but that this is a much larger issue and it's one that all of our communities are experiencing um, at different levels. Russell Jung, you've talked about the need for culturally competent police forces. Can you talk about this? What you mean by this? Right. We have a, a coalition for um, a community coalition for safety and justice. And one of their um, that's made up of over 70, 80 Asian American community groups in the Bay Area right now. And they're calling for culturally competent resources. And um, that looks like for victims and targeted people, mental health resources, victim relief um, units in the district attorney that could actually um, hear in the languages of the people, the stories and um, distress of the victims, provide trauma, mental health services, and um, provide accountability and restitution. Restorative justice measures actually provide healing for the victims, and that's what we're asking for. But we're also asking for, um, again, non-patrolling, non-necessarily policing methods, but um, calling for community ambassador programs. So I think both 
sides, those who call for more patrolling and those calling for um, more community intervention, preventative measures, are both sides are calling for this community ambassador program. This is where we would have local residents hired by um, nonprofits um, who are just greeters on the streets. You see them in business districts where they wear vests and they just welcome people. They give directions. Um, those in Chinatowns, they could speak the language of the merchants. They can um, be on a watch for our elderly. And then they could also serve the unhoused. They can help clean up the streets. These types of community ambassador programs, not necessarily more policing or patrolling, but just having people out there watching out for our community have actually been proven with evidence, um, data-based evidence that um, to reduce crime. So this type of approach is more preventative, doesn't is actually less expensive and um, I think needs to be um, promoted even more. Let me go Overall, to Colin. Oh yeah, Russell John, go ahead. I just want to add, like, like Dr. Wong said, yeah. calling out racism against Asians doesn't necessarily mean we're, we're trying to be anti-Black. Rather, I think calling out racism against Asian Americans, trying to dismantle white supremacy is actually in partnership with Black Lives Matter. Asian Americans are the racial group most in support of Black Lives Matter after um, African Americans. And so as we dismantle the racism we're experiencing as outsiders, as perpetual foreigners, we're working together with Black Lives Matter who are fighting mass incarceration. Um, together, I think, um, what our community coalition is calling for is racial solidarity for justice for everyone, for safety for everyone. So again, I don't think we're necessarily at odds we have to call out anti-blackness in our communities, but I don't think calling out Asian American racism leads to anti-blackness. And I, I do think that we are seeing that solidarity even more visibly this time around than I remember Russell Jung. Whether it be on social media, whether it be at the rallies. Did we lose you again there, Russell? Oh no, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I've seen it too. Um, large racial solidarity um, movements. The rallies this weekend in San Francisco and Oakland were really uh, multiracial. And um, I think we are working together to combat the crime in our neighborhoods and to protect our elderly. Well, joining us now is Assemblyman David Chu. David Chu, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on. We were just talking about alternative solutions to having more police in the aftermath of attacks like this. Can you talk a little bit about what you're trying to implement statewide? Sure. And and by the way, before I talk about the statewide piece, I want to piggyback on something that Professor Jung just mentioned around community ambassadors. So um, the community ambassador program in San Francisco actually came out of incidents in which there were Asian, mostly seniors, who had been victimized by crimes in and around our transit stops. And uh, I remember working on this years ago with uh, then Mayor Ed Lee, as well as some of my African-American uh, fellow supervisors at the time on a program that uh, would allow us to patrol the streets, but do it in a culturally competent way, do it with folks who were uh, trained in how to de-escalate violence, uh, how to uh, mediate between communities. And it has been a very effective program and I think is the kind of thing that would both make us safe, but bring our communities together. 
Um, getting to what we're talking about at the state level, uh, we are, as Asian legislators, pushing a number of things. And when you say uh, we, you also mean Assemblyman Al Muratsuchi of Torrance as well. Correct, as well as the Asian American legislators in the California State Legislature. Um, last week, we proposed the reintroduction of a bill that I had a number of years ago to do what we think is a no-brainer, which is to require the California Department of Justice to establish a toll-free hotline number and basically an online forum to re report hate incidents and hate crimes, to do the sorts of things that Professor Zhang and Stop AAPI Hate have been doing, we can't have it beyond the Asian American community and Asian nonprofit and scholars to track this. We need our state to do this. Um, and what the hotline legislation would call for is for the Department of Justice not only to uh, to take these calls, but to help victims report hate crimes, to connect them with local law enforcement agencies, to connect them with resources and support for survivors and victims, and to make sure we're educating the public around the different remedies that are available to them. Now, on top of that, we've also asked the governor to direct state agencies to correct to create guidelines to enhance public safety, really to get everybody working together to address this. We've asked for the creation of a racial bias task force, really a strike team of, of culturally competent, uh, in many instances, immigrant advocates to help um, interact with community, share these incidents, um, work with community on different ideas to respond to them. And we need funding. We need funding to support projects like Stop API Hate uh, to make sure we're studying the impact of COVID-19. Professor Zhang and others on this uh, show have already talked about the, the mental health impacts, uh, the incredible trauma that folks are engaging in. We want to make sure we're addressing that as well. We'll have more with David Chu right after the break. We're also talking with Dr. Sherry Wang and Professor Russell Zhang. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the recent spate of violent attacks against elderly Asian Americans in the Bay Area and the rising number of hate incidents targeting Asian Americans statewide, as well as efforts to stop them. We have Assemblyman David Chu with us. And Assemblyman Chu, just before the break, we were talking about your hotline that you were trying to get off the ground. You mentioned that you are reintroducing this bill. Why do you think or do you think it has a better chance of success this time around? Well, I first introduced this bill in 2017. It was right after Donald Trump had been elected. And it was in the context of what we saw uh, of a increase in hate crimes, not just against Asian Americans, but against uh, African Americans, against LGBTQ folks, against immigrants, against Muslims. Um, and, uh, and we moved forward to the bill in that context. Um, but the numbers uh, I guess weren't compelling enough to folks and people asked the question of whether it made sense to spend the money for the Department of Justice to set this up. I would suggest that um, that the only way folks are going to see justice and really prevent these sorts of incidents in the future is to be able to make sure there is a direct channel of communication uh, between the survivors, victims, family 
family members, those who are uh, who are, are seeing these incidents perpetrated against them, and uh, and the state authorities that can can actually do something about it. So I'm hopeful, but this is a legislative process. We'll see what happens. Do you notice a difference in terms of political will to do something about this, given the the increased attention it's gotten? I think so. I mean, I think what is what is new in the past year is uh, the intensity of uh, of the violence. Uh, I mean, the fact that we literally have had community members murdered on California streets, as well as just the incredible uh, sheer breadth of what's happening. Um, you know, Dr. Dr. Jung and the Stop API folks have documented nearly 3,000 reports of, of hate incidents, over 700 in the Bay Area. And to his point, this is only the this is only the tip of the iceberg. We know that for every instance of discrimination or vandalism or physical assault, there are probably tenfold incidents that are happening that, that don't get reported. Um, we've all experienced these incidents and uh, and we need to be able to track it. To, if you can't measure something, if you can't count it, you can't address it. Well, Assemblyman Chu, appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me. David Chu, California Assemblymember representing District 17 in San Francisco and chair of the California Asian Pacific Islander Legislative Caucus. We also have Russell Jung with us, professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University, co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate, which tracks incidents of hate against Asian Americans in California, and Dr. Sherry Wang, associate professor of counseling at Santa Clara University. Of course, you can join us as well by calling 866-733-6786, getting in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or emailing us forum at kqed.org. Arlinda in Oakland, join us. Hi, Arlinda. Hi, Arlinda, are you there? All right, looks like we've lost Arlinda. Let me go to Casey in Oakland. Hi, Casey. I think we are having a little bit of difficulty with our phone, so let's go to comments while we got while we get that straightened out. Gary writes, I worked as a first responder in the Asian district of Oakland for a few years. Even 12, 13 years ago, I saw violence perpetrated against Asians. In fact, it was fairly common. I saw elderly Asian residents being targeted for violent, abhorrent home invasions. Evidently, some of the elderly community members used banks less than younger folks, so they'd have larger sums of cash in their homes. This is not a new issue, and I am thankful to see light being shed on it. Sherry Wang, one of the things that I've heard brought up a lot is just the fact that that it's happening to the elderly and the attention and reverence that communities have for the elderly has made this just that much harder to absorb. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, in our in our communities, traditionally, um, not to stereotype all Asian Americans, but but, you know, elders are our, our wisdom. They are our, our kind of our, our guidance. Um, I mean, we we revere them and we care for them. And I actually think that that's also part of the split that we, we may be seeing within the Asian American community, as I've been reflecting on on kind of the, the differing perspectives of how do we respond that I'm, I'm experiencing. And this is more anecdotal, not so much research, but that the Asian American men in my life tend to be more reactive in terms of we have to tit for tat, we have to use violence, we have to resort to these kind of tactics because there's a protectiveness that comes up when our most revered and our most vulnerable demographic within our communities are being targeted. And, and I think that even though um, people are saying, but is it racially motivated? Is it racist? But the reality is that um, our elders are being targeted and that it's not 
um, white communities in, you know, in, in kind of gated communities that are being targeted. So, so the economic component is really important for us to think about in terms of Oakland, in terms of, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area in general, cost of living and how hard that is during a pandemic, the economic insecurity that people of color are facing, um, that all of this, I think, is really important for us to discuss as we think about why Asians, Asian Americans are being targeted. Um, and historically, too, parts of our cultures, um, parts of uh, the ways in which, you know, as um, kind of the, the person who tweeted mentioned, that the ways in which we're saving money, that that becomes an, an access point to be to, to violate our communities or to target our communities because they are weaker or, or maybe a, a, an op, a crime of opportunity to pursue. But, but why us? I think that is a very important question for us to all um, examine, not that there's one solution, but I, th- I do think that's a question we need to be um, really focusing on. Let me go to caller Lewa in San Francisco. Hi, Lewa. Again, I'm I'm not hearing our calls coming through, but let's see if we can figure this out. But it's a really good question, Russell Jung, in terms of as you've been doing your research, what are the what are the reasons that you think occur most frequently um, that that you believe drive Asian Americans as targets? What we found in our research is that um, we're targeted um, for, uh, well, first of all, um, people who um, bullies think are vulnerable are targeted. So we've seen women are harassed 2.4 times more than men. We know that youth and elderly are disproportionately impacted by um, the racism and the hate. And so um, those clear trends, and then show that vulnerable populations are more um, susceptible. And again, I think bullies attack whom they think they can bully. And that's why it's really important for us to um, safeguard our communities and to um, really protect our seniors. Like Dr. Wong said, we really um, revere them and honor them. Well, Mark, yeah, go ahead, Russell. um, Part of the issue, though, is that a lot of the street violence you see um, and crimes, the actual crimes against Asian Americans are that we live in multiracial neighborhoods with high crime rates. And in these neighborhoods, everybody is attacked. Everybody is vulnerable. I live in what we call the murder dubs in East Oakland. I've been here for 30 years. And the street violence is just sort of so commonplace. Asian Americans are garnering attention for being victims right now because Asian Americans are standing up because Asian Americans are calling attention to it on social media because celebrities and um, politicians are noticing it. But on a day-to-day basis in these high crime neighborhoods, pretty much every racial group is a target. And that's what's actually so sad about our system is that um, we need more um, opportunities. We need more resources in these under-resourced communities like mine. Hmm. Well, let me see if I can try to get our phones again. Lewa in San Francisco, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Great, great. Thank you all so much. Um, I, I wanted to call in and, and really appreciate the speakers, Dr. Jung and Dr. Sherry Wan, um, you know, really supporting kind of the, the two points. One, um, I think Russell had mentioned that the, the need to not conflate all of these incidences as hate crimes and that many of these incidences um, uh, 
uh, are are violences that we still need need to address the deep impact of. And I and I think the other thing I wanted to lift up was um, I think how. Um, Many of the speakers had already mentioned this, that these acts of violences are, have been a result of devastating impacts of underinvestment, um, and particularly impacts on our low-income communities mm. and people of color. And so when we think about addressing solutions, not just to violence, but we think about how do we deepen the collective safety of our people, that the solution also has to be about addressing the systemic poverty that exists particularly in the Bay Area. How do we increase more jobs, housing? for our Asian American communities, Black folks, Indigenous, Latinx, so that we can all heal um, and and uh, be safe together. Well, Layla, Thank thanks you. so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Mark writes, your guest Russell Jung mentioned that many of the attacks on Asians were racially motivated but not known precisely to be hate crimes. What is the difference between racially motivated attacks and hate crimes? Is this a legal distinction? Is it also because racial slurs would be considered free speech in and of themselves and possibly something more severe if associated with some sort of assault? Russell? Jung? Yeah, a hate crime is defined as a crime for which you can be arrested and then there's racial motivation or bias um, and intent that's been demonstrated. So in the crimes against the elderly that we've seen, we don't know what the motivations for um, attacking the elderly, so we can't necessarily call them hate crimes yet. There's no basis for calling it a hate crime. Um, clearly the act is hateful, but it's, we don't know if it's racially biased. 90% of our incidents um, are not hate crimes, but hate incidents, again, can't be arrested for getting yelled at, um, or you can't arrest them for spitting on us necessarily, but they're still racist, they're still traumatizing, and they're still wrong. And so we want to um, not only address crimes for which you can be arrested, but we want to address the overall, the overall climate that enables people to spit and cough in people's faces, to yell slurs at the elderly, that allow people to cyber bully our youth. And so um, that calls for different approaches to dealing with racism um, beyond just hate crime enforcement. Well, Beth writes, how can the average person, what can the average person do to help prevent attacks on Asians? Do you have any thoughts, Sherry Wang? Sure. Actually, can I go back to the earlier question, if, if that's okay? Please. Um, that was posed to Russell. I just, I wanted to talk about that delineation between the, the distinction between hate crimes versus um, what's racist, Asians. because mm -hmm. I, I do think that there's a thin line, actually, um, and that in, in the data that I had co collected in asking, you know, what were your experiences of racism pre-COVID? So many of the respondents wrote very similar things to the experiences that were happening during COVID or since the pandemic. But but it was considered just right. It, it was just a microaggression, although they were not microaggressions. So so the racial slurs that um, our communities are hearing, um, you know, the toll being told to go back to your country, being you know um, physically threatened, verbally assaulted, uh, those things actually has been they have been happening and they have happened. But but I don't think people were reporting them as hate crimes. And so I think this is where we're we're you know it's confusing, right? Because a hate crime is something that that you would be arrested for. Um, and yet when we hear about those who have called the police, actually, a lot of people's experiences have been that they were not, they didn't warrant arresting. There wasn't enough, enough, right? Um, quote unquote, enough for it to, to warrant 
um, some kind of arrest or, or for police to follow through and follow up with it. So, I mean, I think that's a really important thing to think about in terms of then how do we delineate racism to to hate crimes, um, because they're so similar, actually. And then if we are going to be reimagining what it means to be um, thinking about policing, to ask for accountability and for safety, then what does that mean then when we are when, when hate crimes are are only going to be those that are um, going to yield right result into arrest? Well, let me just take a moment to remind our listeners that we're talking with Dr. Sherry Wang, Associate Professor of Counseling at Santa Clara University, and Russell Jung, Professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Sherry Wang, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, there's a lot of uh, advocacy to report, to speak up, to share what's happening to you. I, I wonder what you think of that. that, that tends to come up often when there are incidents of, of hate perpetrated against Asian Americans, that the Asian American community needs to stop being silent, basically, is a common refrain. It is. And I, and I think that comes from the best of intentions. And I hear Asian American activists and other activists really say, report, you have to report when it happens, because the numbers are what's going to get our visibility out. And it's with this visibility that we can have representation and funding. So I get that at a level, at a collective level, but at an individual level, and this is me coming from my background and my training and my specialization as a counseling psychologist, that when we're sitting with um, victims or survivors, to force people to report is actually not empowering. Um, and to say, you have to report, you have to report. First of all, when we do work with victor, uh, victims of trauma, we don't require them to do that. We actually try to build a relationship until the victim slash survivor feels like it is safe enough to share their story. And, and, and even after then, then we provide resources until they may feel empowered enough to then report. But, but that is a decision that people get to make and it's also a decision that they get to make where they decide not to because that feels more empowering for them because the, the, the process of reporting actually is very traumatic and re-victimizing because when you report, you have to retell your story and you don't know how people respond. And we know from the research actually that the way people respond to, to assaults, that that actually is what's even more traumatic than the um, initial uh, trauma itself, right? Because it, you can get you can get responses of you know well what were you doing to invite that so we can easily get a lot of victim blaming and i think in this particular case with asian americans to really emphasize you have to report you have to report it's also a lot of that is also highlighting uh, we have to report so that we are defying these stereotypes of asian americans being quiet and submissive and docile and that's i think that is problematic because we're still centering these stereotypes as the kind of our narrative. And so not only then are we telling victims, listen, when you feel really traumatized when something horrific has happened to you, you have to do this. You know, you have to prioritize our collective community over your own emotional well-being. when it could be that all you want to do is go home and hide into a hole and never talk to anybody because you feel so shameful, for example. Right. And so we're asking people to do that, number one, which is problematic. And I think number two, it's problematic then to say you have to do it to represent your community. Like we're already talking to people who are victimized and now we're saying, if you don't speak up, you're gonna make our community look bad by what? 
by perpetuating that we're quiet or silent or that we are not politically active, which these are all stereotypes to begin with. But now we're putting that unintentionally, of course, but we're unintentionally putting that on one another to have to work against stereotypes, which ultimately then reinforce these stereotypes because they're centering all of our actions. So to me, that that's the problem with you know, with saying report, 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 that it's really important to also say bystanders, you need to report, you need to intervene. So leave us, we have about 30 seconds left, Dr. Wang, with what we can do to support others who are going through this or even support ourselves if we have been the target of these kinds of incidents. I think, you know, because we're really talking about how all of us are, are affected, you know, in different ways um, by racism and by trauma, that, that it's really important for us not to compare our racial traumas and, and not to, to feel like it is incumbent on us as victims to have to solve the problem of racism. I think what we can do to one another and with one another is to truly just listen, empathize, validate, and really acknowledge the pain that we are all in. We are in process right now. There's no outcome necessarily. And it's okay for us to be in it with one another, to to just hear one another, and then to move forward once we, we really feel like we are seen. Because the invisibility is really what perpetuates the trauma and, and, and really perpetuates then um, the sense of we're not safe and we're never going to be seen. Well, Dr. Sherry Wang, thank you so much for talking with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Sherry Wang, Associate Professor of Counseling at Santa Clara University, and Russell Jung, Professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. Can't thank you enough for your involvement in this project, Russell Jung, and what it's shown. Thanks. Susan Britton produced today's segment. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.